Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, coming out of the Martin Luther King Jr. Day holiday, we saw mixed market activity after starting lower in grains and oil seeds on the day on Tuesday. Welcome into Market Talk. Appreciate you being here with us once again as we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Always a pleasure. Again, markets on Tuesday. Fairly mixed uh, when all things uh, were settled up here in the trade. We saw grains climb their way off the lows throughout the session after some overnight selling as the markets reopened on the back of some Chinese economic concerns and looking at the South American weather forecasts and more. Overall, not a bad day as we got back to trading the fundamentals, especially the fundamentals from the USDA reports last week. Livestock, more of a mixed bag there. Good day in hogs, not so good in cattle. We're going to talk about the market trade coming up here on the show. Bill Biederman, agmarket.net, is going to join us here in segment two and three to give us his perspective on what he's seeing in this market trade as we get back to trading here this week after the holiday. So we'll get to that conversation coming up in a little bit. Also going to take a look at some of the news headlines in agriculture at the end of the show today. Just get a snapshot of uh, what's trending right now in agriculture here, and we'll have all of that and more coming up a little bit later on in the show. Kicking things off, first off, though, as we talk markets with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. I talked to Arlen around midday on Tuesday as we normally get a chance to catch up with Arlen uh, during the mid-session and get his thoughts on what's happening in the market trade and get his perspective and analysis. And I started the conversation with the grains, obviously highlighted the Chinese economic concerns, their gross domestic product only rising by 3% in 2022 when the Chinese government was expecting a 5.5% rise COVID restrictions, clamping down on economic activity there. So talked about how that's parlaying into the trade and also just the overall tone in grains that we kind of sold off. And then once we traded the headlines, we kind of got back to the fundamentals and churned our way off the lows. And that's where I start my conversation again with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Well, I do think it says something about the sentiment of the money flow in these markets. Uh, obviously, as you said, we did sell off overnight and we've been firming up this morning. And and I think it goes back to Thursday's USDA crop reports as showing that stocks of corn, soybeans, and wheat are relatively snug. It's still difficult for me to be bullish soybeans, even though that's been the leader to the upside. When I look at total South American production, if I even put USDA lowered their production estimate for Argentine soybeans to 45.5 million metric tons. If I go down to 37 million metric tons, I still have total South American production at eight to 900 million bushels above the size of last year's crop. So there's a lot of production down there with the big Brazil crop. 
yet the money flow, and it doesn't pay to argue with the money flow. It tends to be supportive and wanting to own these commodities right now. And we'll see if that's more of a long-term trend or not. But it does seem to be coming back in again today after a week open. Now, I know with the week open, the Chinese uh, GDP numbers were less than the Chinese uh, economists expected, the government expected over there. What is your take on what we saw with those numbers, how that's parlayed into our commodity trade and our broader market trade here today? Yeah, China's used to big GDP numbers every year. And that's common for a growing economy versus a mature economy where growth tends to be much slower um, because you have a lot more opportunity to to expand production year on year. China's gross domestic product rose 3% in 2022. That was well below the government's 5.5% target. And the 5.5% was one of the lower estimates uh, targets that we've seen for many years. Um, but it did come in a little bit better than the 2.8% that a lot of outsiders expected. And that just shows the resurgence of activity that we saw late in the year as China opened up and said, okay, no more restrictions. Now, it's going to be rough as we go forward, and China's still dealing with the imp impact of that COVID spreading throughout the country and a couple of waves probably of COVID outbreaks. Um, but right now, many of their units are, of their provinces are expecting 5 to 7% growth this year, and I think that's going to have its impact on the global economy as well as demand for commodities. Over in livestock, it's been a slow start in cattle trade here today. I know we have a cattle on feed report coming up at the end of the week. Hogs uh, being met with some good enthusiasm to start the week. What is your thoughts as we look at that protein sector here on Tuesday? Yeah, kind of going in different directions. And, and uh, as we look at the cattle market, for example, as we saw the Friday CFTC report showing um, that the managed money held a net long 91,000 contracts. And historically, it's been extremely rare for them to hold more than 90,000 contracts for any real length of time. And so while the long-term fundamentals would appear to be good, it looks like we're seeing some liquidation of that uh, this morning uh, as fund managers and others starting to get nervous with the, with the overall size of the speculative money, managed money length, and starting to reduce it and take some profits, particularly with the cattle on feed report coming out at the end of the week. Expected to show December placements down 8 to 9% from year-ago levels. Marketing's down 4 to 5%. Uh, and the January 1 on feed counts down 3 to 4% year-on-year. Over in the hogs, it's a little bit different story where we've already seen the bad news, already factored in much of the bad news. Um, the funds have already done tremendous liquidation. In fact, Friday CFTC report showing that the funds dumped a net 28,000 contracts of long positions in the week reported, which ended the previous Tuesday. That's an all-time record as far as what we're able to find in our books. Uh, and so getting a little bit of a bounce there today. And again, that's comments and market analysis with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joining us uh, for the midday commentary we have with him each day and, and talking about what he's seeing in that market trade here as we got back to trading on Tuesday. We're going to talk more markets coming up with Bill Biederman of agmarket.net here in just a little bit.
Also, uh, news headlines, one news headline we'll share before we get to more at the end of the show. Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa last week announced he intends to reintroduce the Farm Credit for Americans Act. The legislation bans the federal government from allowing foreign individuals to obtain credit and financial services through the farm credit system. Now, the Iowa Republican wrote the legislation with Senator Sherrod Brown, an Ohio Democrat. Specifically, the legislation prevents the Farm Credit Administration from underwriting foreign buyers seeking to purchase U.S. farmland. It would amend the 1971 Farm Credit Act to ensure foreign nationals can't obtain financing through federal government-backed financial institutions to purchase American farmland. And Grassley says, quote, young and beginning farmers here at home should not be squeezed out or compete with foreign investors subsidized by the American taxpayer, end quote. Now, according to the USDA, foreign ownership of U.S. farm acres increased 60 percent between 2009 and 2019. Increasingly, young and beginning farmers are competing with institutional investors such as pension funds, endowments and even professional athletes who are diversifying their financial portfolios with prime farmland. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk markets. We'll get back to that part of the conversation here on the show. Bill Biederman, agmarket.net, joins us after the break. Back with more Markets Talk right after this. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. And joining us now as we take a look at the market trade action that we saw on Tuesday coming out of the holiday weekend, a slow grind to the upside in the grains and oil seeds, but an overall positive day there. We are welcoming in our good friend Bill Biederman with agmarket.net. Bill, great to have you on the show, sir. Happy New Year. I haven't talked to you since uh, last year, so great to have you back on Market Talk. Hope you're doing well. Well, I am, and it's exciting to see the market doing well also, so it's all good, Jesse. It is all good. It is all good. Well, and you know, this market doing well, I was a little concerned right away overnight into this morning. I know we got that negative GDP news out of China. We're watching the weather forecast, you know, we're trading all this and it's looking like, uh, this might not be a good market today here on Tuesday, but then we digested the news. It seemed like the money flow came back in, started looking at the fundamentals from last week's USDA reports. And we had an overall positive day on uh, Tuesday, Bill. Is that kind of how you felt about the grain trade? Yeah, Jesse, I think um, one of the things that keep, you know, haunting me is the size of the funds position that they still have and they're in building and beans are up to, they've gone from 60,000 contracts all the way up to 144. And they're still maintaining about 160,000 contracts of corn. This is the trading funds. And I think the thing that stands out to me on these reports, Jesse, is the fact that the carryover didn't change. You know, 12, uh, 1.2 billion bushel. Uh, I, I think we added uh, one day's worth of supply uh, to, to the balance sheet. We went from, I think, 32 to 33 days. But, but here's, here's what's crazy. They lowered demand, right? And we still didn't see the carryover increase which tells me that, and we all knew this from a few years ago, the quarterly stocks, 1.2 billion bushels is what it takes to run the pipeline. So did they lower the demand because they had to in order to maintain the stocks where they're at? Or did they lower the demand because demand has been slow and, uh, and they needed to lower the demand anyway? And maybe it's a combination of both, Jesse, but I think the key point there is that this demand number is about as low as you're gonna be able to push it down to. We, we exported 2.7 billion bushel years uh, bushels of corn two years ago, two point almost 2.5 last year. They're down to 1.9 on the esti- estimates for supply and demand today. So th- I don't think they can lower it anymore. 
And if if the South American crop gets worse, and right now, you know, the the Argentine crop is not as small on USDA's balance sheet as what the privates are saying. And if they lower that down to the private's numbers, does that shift some demand to the US? And if it does, then carryover won't even be at pipeline. So our O crop stocks is still extremely tight. And I think that's what we're focused on today. Now, four weeks from now, you'll be all the farmers will be at the banks telling them how many acres they're going to be putting in. And it'll be a totally different situation for new crop. But on the O crop, uh, we need the big South American crop in order to not get any more demand on the U.S. Well, and thinking of those numbers that you mentioned with those USDA reports, it's interesting how USDA kind of massaged the numbers to make them work, so to speak. But to your point, I mean, things are just so tight, Bill, that it, it, it you know, we kind of, it was a bit surprising with the numbers that we got and we're kind of doing our best to feed this bull here, but man, things are just so tight overall here, Bill. Yeah, there's just really no room, which means the downside potential of the market is probably limited. I mean, we could mm -hmm. we could always sell off based on the charts and the technicals and things like that. And, you know, if you wanted to say that, you know, if, if we can't push through these highs, we might have a double top on the market. All those things are possible. Uh, but, but the reality is you're probably not going you know, to $6 on old crop corn, maybe 650 again, that's a decent level. And that's provides a, a fairly good value for end users to be buying against a very tight situation that could get tighter. But I don't think it's going to get any tighter based on uh, where we're at with demand today. But if we do see a shift in demand by lowering that Argentine crop, another four or 5 million tons, you know, I mean, if you just shift 2 million tons to the United States, that's 80 million bushel. And now you're definitely below 1.2 billion. So it is that tight. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the next couple months. Now, I will say this, the outlooks going into the 2023 crop. I mean, I, I've run the numbers here several different ways. I'm coming up with about 2 billion bushels, no matter what. Assuming we get 91 million acres, which is what most people are saying. I, I, I We could be in for a pretty negative market from whatever, you know, whenever the market starts to trade that, uh, all, and it won't trade it completely, but once it sees yield, you know, if yield is 176 or better, you're going to have a pretty decent carryover. If it's, it's 181, your carryover is at 2.4. So, you know, the numbers are going to be uh, hard to be bullish unless there's a weather problem in the United States once we know what our acres are. It feels like to me, your explanation there, that we've been talking about this for months, whether we're talking old or new crop, it would probably be smart for farmers here beginning of the year to try and protect that downside risk in both old and new crop, whether it's floors or whatever, you know, option strategy they're looking at, just because, especially on the new crop, it seems like there could be that downside potential there. It's just smart to protect that and manage that risk right now, Bill. Yeah, I, there's ways to do that, Jesse, that, you know, we've been trying to encourage people to do. And uh, and that would that would involve uh, buying some options, either buy some calls, make some sales, buy some calls or just, you know, buy some puts or do something like that, where, you know, in that situation, you're not even tied to a delivery in case you have a bad crop. But yes, putting a floor under your crop and keeping the upside open until we know some of these unknowns are, are no longer unknowns is a really smart thing because if we do start to trade the bearish 
potential scenario of 2023, um, the market will go down regardless of how bullish we are. And it'll go down because it's seeing 2.2, 2.4 billion bushel carryover. And I'm 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 done buying what I'm gonna buy, and I'll only buy more if if I have to. If the weather's turning bad, then I'll buy more. And the, and if that's the attitude of our grain buyers, everything will start to work lower. It's a little early though. I I don't think you turn bearish yet, but I think you'd be well aware, like you're saying, that this bearish outlook uh, is going to be unavoidable in the next six to 12 months, if we start, if we get decent acres here in the United States and get a good crop, I don't care what happens to South America crop. It's that significantly different. So two, two different markets, old crop, crazy, new crop, heavy. Definitely. Well, and I know too, before the reports, we, we were seeing a fair amount of farmers selling out in the countryside and you could see that impact in the market. And then it just feels like all this USDA, this data dump, kind of changed the story, changed the game a little bit here. I, I guess I haven't looked much this week to see if there's that continued farmer selling. I've seen pictures on Twitter, you know, people lined up at ethanol plants selling corn. I mean, three mile long you know, lines of, of semi trucks. But I know that farmer selling's out there. But I wonder how much maybe, you know, things have been changed here with just the outlook from all the USDA numbers last week. I don't think anything's changed in the immediate. I think it'll take a couple of weeks because I think a lot of guys contracted some corn and they got to deliver mm-hmm. on those things. But, you know, we're still seeing basis weakness. Like down at the Gulf this morning, we saw corn down two cents. We saw beans down two. Uh, we saw beans, uh, 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 the SIF rate on beans was down 12 cents this morning. So, and, and some of that's due to, to freight and barge and better river values. But uh, nonetheless, you know, we're, we're not seeing the cash market screaming for the need to buy grain right now because they've gotten some bill uh as well i i just wonder too you know looking at corn and beans and you hit it on the head you know watching this crop here in the u.s for 23 and south america of course you know brazil i i think some folks are saying well brazil can make up for argentina but that argentina crop is so bad right now i know that is going to be a a short-term concern here in this market. And I'm sure we're going to be just trading weather headlines here for the next couple of weeks. Well, the carryover on corn is in the world has dropped fairly significantly. I mean, you know, you take China out of the deal and you're down to 89 million metric tons, which is relatively tight. And if you look at uh, where they put the Argentine crop at 52 million metric tons, that was down three, but a lot of the privates are right around 50. It's 49 and a half to 51, I believe is the range of estimates. So USDA at the minimum has another one to three million metric tons to uh, to go on on the corn in order to, to get in line, you know, with with the private estimates. So I, I've I've heard some numbers as low as 46. That's that'd be a six million ton revision. You're, you're talking. I think I'm not 100% on that, but I I'm pretty sure if it's six million tons, you're going to have to shift some demand to the United States, or you would have to ration the world demand down one or the other. Well, and again, we're having a conversation with Bill Biederman of agmarket.net. We're going to continue that conversation coming up here after the break with Bill, as we will also take a look at some of the closing market numbers from Tuesday's action coming up here in the next segment. We were mostly higher in grains, core beans, and wheat. Mixed action with cattle lower and hogs higher. We'll talk about that and continue our conversation coming up after the break with Bill Biederman of agmarket.net. Back with more market talk of the way right after this.
Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. And welcome back as we continue with Market Talk here today. Jesse Allen with you in studio. Bill Biederman, agmarket.net, our guest analyst today on the show. We're getting back to our conversation with Bill in just a minute. Closing numbers for Tuesday's trade action, though. First, March corn up 10 and a quarter, 685 and a quarter. July corn was up 8 and 3 quarters, 672 and a half. New crop December corn that was up five and a half at six oh four. Soybeans March up twelve fifteen thirty nine and three quarters. July was up eight and a half fifteen thirty three and a half. New crop November soybeans they were up a quarter penny thirteen ninety three and a quarter. March bean meal up four ninety a ton four eighty one twenty. Soybean oil for March up seventy eight point sixty three eighty four. Chicago wheat March eight higher seven fifty one and three quarters. July was up seven and a quarter at seven sixty one. Kansas City. Hard red winter wheat for March up 12, 855 at three quarters. July KC wheat was eight higher at 843 on Tuesday. Minneapolis spring wheat March up three and three quarters, 916. July up six and a quarter, 907. March oats up seven and a half, 371 and a half. Canola was up uh, about 100 points, 841.90 on the day there. Over in livestock trade, we saw live cattle February down 72, 157. April down 80, 160.10. June live cattle down 27 at 156.80. August lives down 35, 157.05. Feeder cattle January 160 lower, 179.65. March down 157, 181.30. April down 117 at 185.87. And in hogs, February down 20, 78.45. April hogs 85 higher, 88.12. May hogs up 130, 96.45, and June lean hogs up 150 at 105.37 on the day on Tuesday. Again, that's a recap of Tuesday's closing market trade here on Market Talk. Let's get back to our conversation. Bill Biederman, agmarket.net, is our guest analyst here today. Bill, thinking China, how much are you concerned about the GDP numbers that we got Tuesday? 3% growth in 2022, Chinese government expected 5.5%. I know I know that was an initial headline that the markets kind of traded Tuesday. How much are you concerned about that number out of China? If I continue to see that happen, especially now, of course, their their hog herd grew pretty substantially, but their their total population of people went down, too. And that might be more of a concern than anything. But, Jesse, I think what's happening is all these countries are, are going to see downward revisions in GDP. I don't think it's going to change anything on a country to country wide basis. Um, I, I think I think the main thing right now is when you look at their shortfall of production versus production, there's still about 20 million metric tons difference. I believe the the import estimate is at 18. I believe that we're down to only looking to supply eight or nine million tons of that in corn. Uh, we should be doing 10 or 15, right? But Brazil's coming on board. So, so I think that's a bigger picture. 
to, to be watching to see what happens because the next two months is when we really pick up our corn exports. If we don't, and China is delaying shooting for that now okay to import Brazilian corn market, then I think we're in some pretty serious trouble. Well, and as well, tied into this, you know, thinking about whether we're talking corn, soybeans, with all the problems in Argentina, I know this is more of a soybean story. There's been talk that Argentina might try to import some beans from Brazil to meet their crushed, you know, demand if their crop is poor. You know, there's talk of Brazilian corn going to Mexico, obviously China in the game, thinking about exports from the U.S. to China, still feels like these deck chairs are just kind of shuffling around here with all the different things going on that I, I agree with you. It's going to be an interesting couple of months to see here, especially corn export-wise and, and soybeans too, just what China buys, what what do they do, where do they go? It's, it's very interesting how this is all kind of sorting itself out right now. Yeah, we're pretty fortunate to be associated with a group of guys that were cash, former cash traders. They follow the freight markets. They follow the rail, the ocean freight. They, they, you know, the the lift valuations going into different ports and things like that, uh, vessel lineups. Uh, and, and so they seem to have a pretty good handle on it. And, uh, and you know, obviously there's a big concern and, and, and all of those things. Uh, are going to affect the U.S.'s ability to remain competitive um, just as much as, as the Board of Trade price going up and down. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very dynamic market right now, very competitive market right now. And like you say, with Brazil and Argentina kind of opening up their gates a little bit with, you know, phytosanitary issues with mm -hmm. China and things like that. It's, uh, you know, in Argentina shipping out a few beans instead of just meal. Those are big dynamics that change that we don't really read in the daily headline. But again, we've got we're fortunate to be surrounded with about eight or nine guys that that's where their background comes from. Let's talk the wheat market a little bit here, Bill. Uh, any thoughts there? I know moderately higher on Tuesday. This wheat market's got its own set of fundamentals and stories. As you look at things now, a couple of days post USDA reports, what's your thoughts with what's going on in wheat right now? Well, I think the wheat's uh, getting hammered again by, um, well, it's not getting hammered on the marketplace, but I think that the what's keeping buyers to come in and, and pushing this thing up 20, 30 cents and get it back up to where it was a couple of weeks ago is the fact that Russia is still very competitive on their prices. Uh, and, you know, you've got some potential moisture coming in. I don't think it's going to get as far south as the market wanted to see when we were trading much lower during the nighttime, but then during the day we picked back up because some of that moisture was pulled out or moved north really. So uh, when I look at the supply and demand, I think we've hit value. I wouldn't be surprised if the wheat market hasn't bottomed. Um, I think at the very least uh, you see that Kansas City wheat shoot back up towards $9. I think there's gonna be some issues with the crop unless we get really good weather going into tiller season. And of mm -hmm. course that can make up for a lot of losses. Yeah, that Kansas City wheat crop, I know just the concerns are there. But you know, what is it? Wheat has eight or nine lives, I think, Bill. So what are we on? Live number six, I think, at this point. It'll just be a case of see what happens when we come out of dormancy here, I think. That's right. And right now, I mean, everybody who's a, any kind of a trader at all would be looking to sell the Chicago wheat in the 780 to $8 range. And um, so, I, I mean, I think the Chicago wheat's the one – it's really got the most potential to, to move lower. If it's going to move lower, uh, it would be the Chicago. So keep your eyes on the trend of that. But if you want to be friendly and holding on to anything, it's probably the Kansas City that you'd want to hold on to, at least until 
probably March. You know, over in the protein sector, I know cattle lower on Tuesday. Hogs were higher there, and I would have to assume you know cattle, some of that was the corn market moving back higher. I saw some interesting data. The managed money, uh, massive net long in cattle, while they let go a, lo- a big liquidation of long positions in hogs on Friday, CFTC reports. Uh, I-, I think that maybe speaks to some of the market action, too, that we saw on Tuesday with hogs moving higher and cattle coming under pressure. Would that be some things you were seeing maybe in that protein sector overall, Bill? Yeah, I think I think that's accurate. I think also the fact that the Feb hogs just got, you know, so low that, uh, you know, we got down to a point where we're, we're, we're close to what I would think would be value. Now, you know, it's hard to know what economic value is on hogs when so many of them are, are uh, vertically integrated. But mm-hmm. point being is that, you know, we got down to some very cheap, very, very oversold futures markets. The feeder cattle market really took some pressure on Tuesday. Um, and if you look at that commitment of traders reports, these funds are actually selling these feeders pretty heavily. Uh, the cattle market, you know, everybody's bullish and uh, it would be nice to see a further washout. I'd love to see that market get down uh, into the 158 range. Uh, that would be, I think, really healthy for the market. Uh, from a technical standpoint, that would be enough just to go down and wipe out a few speculators. Uh, we, we'd like to see a few guys go, those guys get knocked out. So when we reverse and go back up, they'll all want to get back in, right? Mm-hmm. But the turn in the cattle um, is still long-term bullish based on supplies that's not going to change for a long time until we get to a price that that we reach equilibrium and we start seeing incentive reasons to rebuild the herd and on on the hogs i really think that's just more of a technical trade you know the high end is 96 and a half and the low end is 86 and a half and i think with cattle too uh with a holiday shortened week this week we got to get cash trade in here but we got a cattle on feed report friday how much will we square start squared up positions, say, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning into that report, Bill? I think that remains to be seen as well. I think so, too. And I think if, if someone's out there with a lot of profits on their position, they're going to probably want to protect those profits somehow. That means they might lighten up a little bit or they might sell another month and they might buy some options. Usually you'll see that option volatility increase right until the day of the report. And then the day after the report, whichever side was wrong they'll bail out of those pretty quick and try to minimize their their losses. Bill, great thoughts and insight as always. Before we run out of time and let you go, any other final thoughts you want to share with us here today? No, we're looking forward to seeing everybody in a few weeks here on February 6th in Nashville. And uh, and uh, we're having a great sign-up. So uh, there's, there's a, I don't know if there's any rooms left. I think there are, but probably not at the discount rate. So we're really excited about that, Jesse. No, and I know that's going to be a great conference. And uh, folks can get details, agmarket.net. I know we'll be there broadcasting live on February 6th as well at the Grand Hyatt in Nashville. And, Bill, of course, if folks want market advice uh, anytime, agmarket.net, a great place to start to uh, get in touch with you and the team there, isn't it, Bill? Yeah, I would just go to the agmarket.net website, and uh, you can sign up for free Intel. Just go to the Intel block and go down there to sign up for 30 days of free, and and uh, it's a great way to get started agmarket.net with that bill biederman always a pleasure sir thanks for joining us today have a great week and we will talk to you soon okay thank you and once again bill biederman agmarket.net always a pleasure to catch up with him and you can learn more and get in touch with him and the entire team there at agmarket.net just go online very simple agmarket.net is the best way to 
get in touch with them. Again, moderately higher in the grain trade on the day Tuesday. Livestock, cattle were lower. Live and feeder cattle trade, a little more pressure in feeders. While the hog market mostly higher, except some intermarket spreading there between front month February hogs down a little bit. The rest of the deferreds were higher. We're going to take a look at news headlines before we wrap up the show. We'll get back to more conversation here on Market Talk on the way right after this. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks again for joining us here today. Bill Biederman, agmarket.net, was our guest analyst. We appreciate his time and insight into the market trade as always. And a reminder, too, they have their uh, farming for profit, not price conference coming up in Nashville here just a couple of weeks away. I know uh, I will be there attending. We'll be doing uh, Market Talk live there on February 6th. That is a Monday. Uh, their conference, February 5th, 6th, and 7th there in Nashville. And the details, you can find it online at agmarket.net. That's online at agmarket.net. Well, let's take a look at some of the news headlines in agriculture here before we wrap up the show today. Despite being rescinded in 2015 due to NAFTA concerns, a host of farm groups are working to restore mandatory country of origin labeling, or MCOOL. The America Beef Labeling Act was introduced in Congress last year, which looks to reinstate MCOOL for beef and pork. 50 cattle, farm, rural, and consumer groups recently sent a letter to lawmakers supporting the proposal and asking that the issue be addressed in this session. Now, country of origin labeling was passed into law in 2002, covering a wide range of products, including beef, pork, lamb, chicken, goat meat, and fruits and vegetables. But Congress repealed the beef and pork requirement in 2015, and that was after Mexico and Canada filed a complaint with the World Trade Organization. Now, Mexico and Canada said it discriminated against the imported live cattle from their countries. RCAF CEO Bill Bullard says the current situation leaves consumers in the dark. The beef is not labeled as to its origin, and consumers may wish to choose beef that was produced under the U.S. food safety system as opposed to from some developing country. Bullard also pointed out that currently meat packers are allowed to repackage beef from other countries into new boxes, donning a product of USA label. He calls that a highly deceptive practice. Unfortunately, they may see a product of USA label on a beef product, but that does not mean it's of domestic origin. It simply means that the product has gone through a U.S. processing plant and may have only been unwrapped from its foreign label and relabeled with the USA label in order to bear the product of USA label. So consumers are being deceived terribly right now. Bullard says he expects a bipartisan group of four senators to reintroduce the America Beef Labeling Act quickly in the current session. The four senators are Republicans John Thune and Mike Rounds of South Dakota, as well as Democrat John Tester of Montana and Democrat Cory Booker of New Jersey. Well, another news of agriculture here today on the show. National Association of State Departments of Agriculture members and leadership traveled to Vietnam last week. The delegation embarked on the organization's first trade mission to explore global emerging markets through the Department of Agriculture Emerging Markets Program. NASDA President and Wyoming Department of Agriculture Director Doug Miyamoto, Washington State Department of Agriculture Director Derek Sanderson, Delaware Secretary of Agriculture Michael Scoos, 
Texas Dem Department of Agriculture Assistant Commissioner Dan Hunter and NASDA CEO Ted McKinney participated in the trade mission. Now, the delegation explored trading opportunities and educated Vietnamese agricultural government and business leaders on American agriculture and markets. NASDA was recently awarded $925,000 from USDA to promote exports of U.S. agricultural products to developing countries with strong growth potential. And that includes Vietnam. NASDA will also conduct trade missions to Thailand, Indonesia, and Kenya this year. NASDA is a nonpartisan nonprofit association that represents the elected and appointed commissioners, secretaries, and directors of the Departments of Agriculture in all 50 states and four U.S. territories. Cumberland Agco's poultry production equipment brand, they're introducing Scout, the world's first ceiling-suspended robot system. The system continuously monitors broiler chickens and their poultry house environments to increase animal welfare as well as farm productivity. Scott Becker, director of North America Sales for Cumberland, says, quote, with Scout, producers can achieve better feed conversion, early disease detection, and fine-tuning of climate control resulting in reduced mortality and less condemnation numbers, end quote. Now, the advanced robot uses a complete set of sensors to map key indicators that impact bird health and performance, including thermal comfort, air quality, light intensity, sound levels, and bird distribution. Scout also classifies excrement for early disease detection 24 to 48 hours before producers may become aware of an issue. Now, in addition, the technology identifies dead birds. Monitoring information is available to producers 24-7 from any device, including daily and weekly reports with maps of their entire house. Again, that is from Cumberland Agco's poultry production equipment brand, introducing Scout, the world's first ceiling-suspended robot system. Interesting stuff there for sure. Also, U.S. potato growers have something to be very proud of. That is the fruits of their labor are the most popular vegetable in the nation. Potatoes USA Chief Marketing Officer Kim Brashear says it's why everyone in the potato industry loves what they do. People love potatoes. Potatoes are America's favorite vegetable. We know that because we do a survey every year where we ask consumers of the top 20 most sold vegetables, what are your favorite? And for the last six years, potatoes have been on the top of that list. The second favorite vegetable is broccoli. In our tracking, broccoli used to be America's favorite vegetable. Yeah. However, six years ago, the data switched where potatoes have risen to that top and the gap is growing. And that popularity in restaurants, Brashears says, is continuing to grow. Yeah, potato sales at food service last year increased 12% from the year before. 12% is a pretty sizable increase. Now, we definitely lost some sales during the COVID era when restaurants were shut down, but they're rebounding, and there's no indication that the rebound isn't going to continue. Now, that's not to say that there aren't any concerns. Now, inflation will be something that we all have to pay close attention to, but we haven't seen anything in the data thus far that shows a softening of consumer spending at food service. There is a market there. There are no indications that consumers are not going to continue to want to put potatoes on the plate and enjoy them. So the market is here, and I would encourage growers to seriously consider ensuring that they continue to produce the product. Through June, total potato sales increased 5.7% in value and 4.4% by volume over the year before. A peak of the weather forecast here for the rest of this week as well. Pretty hefty winter storm. Some heavy snow totals through the central Midwest being seen here uh, midweek and also looking at severe weather potential across parts of the south. So something to keep in mind there as well to watch on the uh, weather front here in the U.S. for the rest of the week ahead. That's going to do it for Market Talk today. Coming up tomorrow, Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, will be our guest analyst 
I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.